Well, hey, everyone. So good to have you with us today. I want to encourage you, if you didn't have a chance to join us for the church update and vision night this last Tuesday night, you can head over to thriveglendora.org and you can watch the recording of that meeting. I shared a number of updates about where we currently are as a church and where we're, where we'll be headed uh, in this next season. And so I, I encourage you, go set aside some time, go check that video out. I'll also be sharing some of those things over the next few weeks as well. Uh, but, but the recording of that meeting is, is really the best place as a kind of a next step jumping off point. And so uh, take the time to do that. Uh, I'm starting a series today called More Than a Story. And one of the things I shared on Tuesday was in order to move forward, as we look to the future, it's, it's important for us to also look back at where we've come from has a big part in determining where we're going. And so that's what I want to do. In fact, More Than a Story was the very first sermon series that I preached when I became the pastor of this church back in 2015. And so I want to revisit this sermon series. It's tailored, it's adjusted because a lot's changed between then and now. But I think there were some things that the Lord stirred in my heart back then that as we launch into a new season are appropriate to revisit and look at once again. Good storytelling is amazing. I think most of us would say we enjoy a good story, whether that's reading a book or watching a TV show or a TV series, uh, maybe a movie, watching a movie, or uh, even if someone just telling you a story or you're telling someone a story, whether that's little kids or even just listening to a friend share a story about something that's happened in their lives. Good storytelling can really capture our attention. It can, it can stir our emotions. It can challenge us. It can motivate us. And good stories can teach us. And there are a range of stories throughout history that are told and retold. Uh, we have classics. We have books that, that continue to be read over and over again, even though they might have been written hundreds of years ago. And so uh, that's another aspect of good stories is that they last, that they, they don't just fade. They don't die out. They're kind of timeless. Uh, one of the things about storytelling as well that is, is so powerful is that they can be compelling. Good stories can, can, can be compelling. They can stir something in us that cause us to move in a certain direction or, or at least have a desire to, to do something. I've mentioned this before. Uh, it's a story out of my own life, my own childhood. I grew up in the 80s, and one of the things that happened in the 80s is that the movie uh, Top Gun was released. And I remember going to the theaters to watch that movie. I've, I've enjoyed flying and I've been fascinated with flying my whole life. Uh, and remember the first time I got an airplane when I was eight years old. And I, I remember sitting in that movie theater as these F-14 Tomcats were being launched off the deck of an aircraft carrier and the dogfight scenes and the blue sky and the blue ocean and the afterburners. And, and I was just fixated. I was just sucked in to that, to, to, to that movie, to that story. And maybe some of you can relate to this, but I was determined at that point that one day I would be a pilot and that I would fly 
F-14s. That, I was just so stirred by, by what I was seeing on the screen. And funny enough, it didn't even have to do with the narrative of the story, the storyline. It was just, it was just the, the way that those aircraft and, the, and, and, and the, the life on the carrier was depicted. I thought, I want to do that. So much so that uh, my parents ended up getting for me a poster of an F-14 Tomcat that was about six and a half feet long. It was this huge poster framed and I, it hung over uh, uh, the side of my bed, just kind of right above my bed. And I would wake up in the morning and the first thing I would see would be that airplane. And the last thing I would see when I would go to bed at night was, was that airplane. And uh, it was, and, and that's a big poster. It was a huge poster. And I remember one of the things that was so cool about this poster is that the pilots we're looking at the camera, whoever had taken that picture from, a, from another aircraft flying alongside. The pilots were looking over, the, the pilot in the Rio, the, 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 the guy sitting in the back seat, were both looking and you could see their faces. And, it was, and I would just imagine, I, I want to do that one day. So of course, I didn't become a fighter pilot because here I am, I'm a pastor and God had other things in my life. But for a long time, that's where I thought my life was headed because that story got a hold of me. And, and if, if you've read stories, if you know stories, there's some great one-liners. There's some great opening lines, rather, that, that are part of classic stories. Lines like this. And here we're going to play, maybe play a little game. So I'm going to say the first few words of an op- opening line. If you're watching with uh, someone or a group of people today, see if you can finish these and then I'll, I'll fill in the gap. So uh, a classic one is this. Once upon a time, right? Once upon a time. Uh, try this one on for size. The sun did not shine. It was too, yeah, it was too wet to play, Dr. Seuss. Uh, all children except for one grow up in the story of Peter Pan. Uh, call me Ishmael. And uh, the classic Moby Dick. Here's one that's not from a book, well, adapted from a book, but uh, many of you aficionados, kind of fans of this series, will, will know this. Space. The final frontier, Star Trek, one that is so well known for us. But I'll tell you the best and most important opening line of all stories is this one. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God spoke creation into being. In the beginning, God formed Adam out of the dust of the earth and took a rib out of Adam and, and formed Eve and he breathed life into them. And, and the reason that is the most important story is that it's the beginning of our story. It's the beginning of my story and it's the beginning of your story. I think one of the dangers that we have with scripture is that people can view the Bible as just a compilation of stories, that they're just stories, that they're nice, uh, nice accounts to read of what happened, anecdotes of what happened in people's lives that lived long ago. And they're, they're nice to read and uh, maybe uh, there's drama and there's action and there's tension, 
but there's a sense that it's unrelated to my life, that I'm, I might as well be reading a work of fiction. And nothing could be further from the truth, that the Bible, that God's word, and those opening lines in the beginning, though, that is the beginning of our story, that we are a part of God's story in the world, of what he is doing and how he is moving. And so we have to think about God about his word and about our lives as being connected to each other. You are a part of the story. And that's why this series is entitled More Than a Story. That your life, what's going on in your life right now, is a part of God's grand narrative. Uh, The technical term would be this mega narrative. It is his mega narrative. You might have heard the term meta narrative, uh, which is similar, except that meta narrative uh, really draws from mythical stories where stories that are, are, are fables and not true will actually influence reality. But in scripture, in God's story, in his mega narrative, everything we read about in scripture really happened. It is true, it is real, that the people that were written about were real people in real places. You can even travel to Israel, you can travel to that part of the world, you can go to Rome, you can go to Greece, and you can stand in the place where these characters in scripture, these, these, these names in, in, in scripture stood and lived and, and carried out their lives. And we are a part of that story. See, the the story, God's story, God's mega narrative doesn't end in Revelation. That the, the story that God is unfolding is still unfolding today. And again, you are part of that story. Here's one of the things about stories and timelines is that so often if we look at one piece by itself, it doesn't make sense on its own. It might not make sense. You might look at seasons of your life or parts of your own life that if you just looked at that snapshot apart from the whole, it might not make sense. But when you put it together with everything else that's going on in your life, when, when you look at the individual pieces together as a whole, that there's meaning that comes out of that. And that's the way it is with God's story in our lives. You see, the, the, the story, God's story, his, his mega narrative that involves you and me is still unfolding. The story is still being told. It's still being written. And until we are in heaven with Jesus, until Jesus returns and takes us home to be with him, that story here on earth will keep unfolding And so for us as believers, as followers of Jesus, as friends, as uh, as people who care about each other as a community, as a church, that story is still unfolding. And that story is a redemption story. All throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see the story of God's incredible redemption. It's what we celebrated last week on Easter Sunday. The redemptive power of God displayed in the life of Jesus. It's a transformation story. Lives that were broken, lives that were lost, lives that, that lacked meaning and purpose and hope being transformed by the power of God 
through the work of Jesus, by the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I, I love as we see the early churches, the power of the Holy Spirit descends upon them in that upper room and there's this explosive movement that emerges as men and women who before might have been timid and shy or, or didn't have, uh, they just lived simple lives, all of a sudden found themselves in this place where they were preaching the gospel all over the world and lives were be trans, being transformed. It's a story uh, that is full of action. It's full of emotion. It's full of tension. There is drama. Read, if you read scripture, both the Old Testament and the New Testament, there is drama. There's things that happen that, that, where there's interactions between people that are messy and, and not easy. There's, there's disagreement all throughout scripture. Why, why does God put that in there? I believe it's a reminder to us that, that our lives are not dissimilar to what happens in scripture, that we would be able to relate to understand this, that our lives are a part of the story, that we are continuing in the unfolding of God's meta narrative. And most importantly, it is a love story. It is the most beautiful love story that's ever been told. The love of God for his creation. The love of God displayed in a savior who came to earth as a baby, lived his life, ministered, was accused was arrested, was beaten and, and flogged and hung on a cross and died for the sins of the world. That his love was expressed. John three sixteen says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. It's a love story that culminates with the resurrection of our Lord from the dead and the, and the redemption of our lives. The, the, the love that is rekindled and restored between God and man, men and God. Here's the thing about this story. It all points to Jesus. This story all points to Jesus. I'm going to read a passage out of Hebrews chapter 12 verses 1 and 2. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Uh, Their words will be on the screen as well. This is what it says. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. The writer of Hebrews here, encouraging us, encouraging believers to keep running the race, to keep being part of the story that God is unfolding, the story that God is telling in the world. And I want to work through this passage a little bit and highlight a couple of things that, that the writer says here. He, he refers to this great cloud of witnesses, this great cloud of witnesses, the, the image here is that of a Greek amphitheater or a Roman amphitheater where they had these, these massive structures that were built in the round that had stadium seating and there would be a, a stage or there would be an arena right in the middle where there would be uh, sports and, and uh, you know, whether it was gladiators fighting, whether it, it was uh, actors acting or there were chariot races and all of these different things going on. The, the picture that the writer of Hebrews uses is that of a foot race, of, of, of a group of people running in a race. And he says that in the stands, in the stadium, 
stadium, that there's this great cloud of witnesses. There is these people who have gone before and, and that they're more than spectators. They're not just spectators or, or even cheerleaders, that every one of these that are a part of this great cloud of witnesses are the ones who've come before, the ones that we read about in scripture, the ones that are named and even those that are not named in scripture that have run their race, that have uh, walked in obedience to God's call in their life and have been a part of God's mega narrative all the way from the beginning of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation and then beyond. That there is this great cloud of witnesses for us today versus those that would have read this, this writing in that time, in the, in the time right after Christ when, when Hebrews was written. For us, that great cloud of witnesses would include so many who've come uh, as the church has been established, people who have served God faithfully. That there is this, so imagine you're running a race and there is a stadium of people who are not just spectators, they are ones who have run the race as well. And they are there and they are not just watching, but they are cheering you on, that they are, that, that they are for you, that they are encouraging and, and, and they are behind you, uh, that this cloud of witnesses becomes a, a, an integral part of our lives, not because they just lived before, they have neat stories, but because their story is tied to our story. See, they were participants, they were witnesses. You know, I wonder sometimes, why is it that God shows unqualified, imperfect people? All throughout scripture, we see that Moses, David, Esther, Mary, Peter, Thomas, Paul, the, the disciples, that they were, none of them were the cream of the crop, if you will. They weren't, they weren't the ones who excelled in their field or the ones that were the kings and the princes or the, the priests and the lords. They were humble people. They were simple people. They were broken people. And in so many other cases, they had no position. They had no experience. They had no education. Uh, there was even a recording in scripture about people, the, the way that the people had humble appearance, that they, they weren't particularly attractive even. And I think those things that the world puts so much value in, God says, I don't look at those things as even he says about David when he selects David to be king. He says, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. And so he chooses this litany of people to be a part of his story that aren't perfect, that aren't polished. And it becomes this witness to our lives to be reminded that God still takes broken, fractured, unqualified people to do his work, to be a part of his story and his work in the world, his missio day. We've talked about God's mission in the world, especially over this last year in our God is series, that God is on the move and he is calling men and women and boys and girls to be a part of the unfolding of his story in the world. And I think we can get into a place where we think, well, I'm not qualified. I don't have what it takes. God will have to choose someone else. But when we look at this great cloud of witnesses, when we consider who's gone before, who God has chosen to be a part of this story and who has run this race, not just before us, but even with us, we have to remember that God uses people that are broken, 
that are incomplete, that are uneducated, that don't feel qualified. In fact, it's kind of his speciality. It is the thing that he does best is he takes people and he redeems them. Can I tell you, church, God has a plan and a purpose for your life, that your life is a part of his mega narrative in the world, that what he is doing in the world involves you. What he's doing in your neighborhood involves you. What he is doing in your community involves you. What he's doing in this church involves you. And what's so neat is we look at the lives of those who have gone before, that their experience, that their witness gives testimony to God's faithfulness. That's why they're a cloud of witnesses. They're the ones who have seen God's faithfulness from generation to generation to generation. Recognizing that we can't do things in our own strength any more than they did anything in their own strength. It was God who provided, God who called, God who sustained, God who healed, God who gave them favor, God who strengthened them, God who put his word in their mouths to do the work that they did. And so we have this witness, we have this testimony of their lives that empowers us, that compels us as as we read the Bible. And this is my encouragement to you today. As you would read scripture, to read it with this lens, that you are a part of, a continuing part of this unfolding story, that your life is tied to the life of Moses, that your life is tied to the life of Deborah and Esther and, and Daniel and Lydia, that all of these names, all of these people are not just characters, that they are partners in the kingdom work of God here on earth, and that your name is listed among those that God is choosing you, that he is calling you, that he is speaking to you. So their lives become this witness. They become this point of empowerment. In fact, Romans chapter 12, verses, verse 11 says this. It says that they, the believers, overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. That the church, that God's people overcome the enemy, Satan, By the blood of the lamb, it is the focus on Jesus. We fix our eyes on Jesus. It's that whole central point of our faith that the blood of the lamb washed away our sin, that the blood of the lamb is the the work of Jesus at the cross that redeemed our lives. But then then John writes here in Revelation, but we, and not just by the blood of the lamb, but we overcome by the word of our testimony. And that testimony isn't just the testimony of our own lives. It's the testimony of the lives of other believers, whether they lived in ancient times or whether they are the people that you are in contact with today. That our testimonies, we hear at Thrive Church, we call them Thrive Stories. Why are those stories powerful? Because they're a reminder of God's work in our lives, about God's faithfulness and the ways in which he continues to move. Church, God is on the move, that he is doing big things in the world, and you and I are a part of that story. The writer of Hebrews continues, and he talks about us running this race, setting aside all of the hindrances, casting aside all of the sin and the things that would prevent us from running the race. And then he says this, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus. Remember, I said this story is all about Jesus. It all points to Jesus. For those in the Old Testament, they looked forward to Jesus' arrival, to to the, the arrival of the Messiah and the saving work of the Messiah. 
For us, we look back in history. We look back to an empty cross and to an empty grave. Again, that's what we celebrated last Sunday on Easter. In, in both cases, though, the work of Jesus, the work of our Savior is central to the story. It is the thread that runs all the way through. And so we run the race. We look to Jesus and we run the race. We look to the example of his life. We look to his witness. We look to his testimony. We look to his commands and what he taught us to do and what he taught us to say and how he taught us to live. And then we run the race. Because you see, church, the story is still unfolding. The race is still being run. Lives are still being saved. Jesus is still perfecting faith. And there is still work to be done. There is still work to be done. That we don't read scripture, we don't read the, 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 the account of the, the New Testament and what happened in the early church and go, well, that was nice for then. We have to remember that our story is tied to that story, that that mega narrative continues to unfold and that your name and my name are listed alongside those that are listed in scripture. And that our, ultimately that we would become a part of that great cloud of witnesses that would cheer those on, that would come after us until Jesus would return. The famous quote by Yogi Berra was this, it's not over till it's over. It's not over till it's over until Jesus returns, until Jesus comes back in glory. We as the church, we have work to do. We have work to do. There are lives that need to be touched. There are communities that need to be transformed. And yours is included in that, that God wants to bring empowerment. He wants to bring healing. He wants to bring transform, transformation and hope into your life. It's not just that you're a character with a job to do. Remember, this is primarily a love story. It's about God's great and awesome love for you. And that you would receive that love. That you would receive what Jesus has for you. I shared this story when I first uh, taught this series back in 2015. And I wanted to share it again because it's a powerful story. It was an article that was written in Christianity Today about a woman named Kimberly Shoemate. Uh, Kimberly had grown up in a home where witchcraft and, uh, and Satan worship were just the norm. That's what they did. And through a series of tragedies in her life and things that, that, that ended up falling apart, she absolutely rejected God and she gave her life over to a, a life of witchcraft. And the story in the, in the article recounts the, her journey from being a witch to finding Jesus. One day she ends up going in just a point of desperation. She, she kind of in a, a, an antagonistic way goes to a church service thinking that she will confront people in the midst of her pain, not knowing what she's looking for. Uh, and she ends up getting connected with a group of people. She ends up in a home Bible study and a small group gathered in a living room. And in the midst of that, the leader, a man named Scott, starts just talking about the word of God to her. And she begins to challenge him 
And she's come prepared with all of these scriptures that she says are not true and, and, and has issue with. And, and just one by one, Scott just gently uh, just answers her out of scripture and every one of her arguments ends up just falling apart. And I want to read uh, this, this portion out of the account, out of this, this article, uh, after her encounter with this small group in a home. This is what it says. As Lisa drove me home, my mind ached as I replayed Scott's words. All the Old Testament and New Testament verses had one oddly familiar voice, one tone, one heart. I wondered, how could a book written by so many different people over the course of hundreds of years fit together as perfectly as if one amazing storyteller had written the whole thing? The Holy Spirit began melting my vanity and arrogance with a power stronger than any hex, incantation, or spell I'd ever used. Suddenly, the blindfold I'd worn for almost 30 years was stripped away, and instantly I knew what I'd been searching for. Jesus. Jesus. She gave her life to the Lord and continues to serve the Lord to this day. But here's a woman who comes out of brokenness, is presented in the midst of a loving community with the truth of God's word. And I love what she says. How could this book, written the Old Testament and the New Testament, written over a thousand of years, how could it have this one oddly familiar voice, one tone, one heart. What was it? Well, what she was hearing was the voice of God. And what she was identifying was the mega narrative that every book of the Bible, every word that has been written in scripture is God breathed. It is inspired by the Holy Spirit and is a part of his grand story it was so compelling, it was so transformational that she identified the thing that her heart had been longing for, the person of Jesus, and she surrendered her life to him. I love that this happened, by the way, in the midst of a small community in a living room. It didn't happen at a, 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 a giant stadium, though God can work in those places. I think so often it's the intimate places, the upper rooms, if you will, where Jesus moves, where he touches lives. I love that Scott and Lisa, the two people mentioned in this story, were two people who, along with us, are part of God's story, that they were running the race that God had called them to, and because of that, this woman's life had been transformed. Kimberly gave her life to Jesus. So what's the point? Where am I going with this? And what does this have to do? And maybe you're connecting some of the dots. Next Sunday, I'm gonna recap some of the, the points from our vision night. I'm gonna talk a little bit more about where I believe God's leading us as a congregation. I believe that there's amazing days ahead for Thrive Church. And even though we are in the midst of very, living in a very different world to what it was just a year ago, I know that God has great things in store. And, and I'll just say this, the how of what church looks like moving forward may look very different from what most of us are used to, most of us have grown up in, and most of what we've come to define church to be. And, I, and next week I'll share out of Acts chapter two that really what, where God is leading us is not too dissimilar 
from what we see even in the New Testament church. But before we get to the conversation about the vision, before I roll that out and lay that out before us, before I talk about the direction of a congregation, it's really about one life, your life, my life before the Lord, saying, God, where do I fit? Asking these two questions. Asking this question first, God, what are you up to? What are you doing in the world? What are you doing in the the world around me? Because the world is a big place. And we understand that he is everywhere and he is moving all around the world. And there are great stories and testimonies of the work of God being poured out around the world. But, But right now, your Jerusalem is, as Jesus would say in Acts chapter one, in your context, in your community, in your neighborhood, in your family, in your workplace, what is God up to? What is he doing? The people who you get to interact with throughout your days, throughout your week, what is he doing? I'll tell you what, uh, what I know uh, is a part of the story right now, is that he is still seeking and saving the lost, that God is still transforming lives, that he is still healing the sick, that he is casting down fear and bringing hope, that God is on the move, but that you would pause in your own heart, in your own life, in the midst of what's going on in your world and say, God, what are you up to? Where, where are you at work? What is your mission in my community, in the world that I inhabit? What are you doing? And then asking this second question as well. God, what are you asking of me? What are you calling me to? What is my part in this grand narrative, in this mega narrative as the story unfolds? What is my part? What is my part of the race to run? Because we all have a race to run and no one's race is insignificant. No one's race, no one person's race is more important than another because all of these threads in this tapestry, every, every thread comes together as an important and your life, God's call on your life as as important as any other person, any, any, any other person called to ministry, because we are all called to ministry. We can compare and we can look at other people and say, that person's more qualified. I tell you what, there are so many in scripture who that would have been their cry. That person's more qualified. I'm not good enough. Yet we have their names recorded in the Bible. Your life is valuable and important. And so asking that question, God, what are you asking of me? What is God stirring in you? It might be today, in this moment, God might be stirring something in your heart. And maybe it was a dream that that you had a decade ago or even beyond that. And you thought, you know, there's no way there's no way that God can use me. Something that, like, like when I watched Top Gun and man, there was all of this emotion. Maybe you read something in scripture and said, you know, yeah, I wanna do that. You heard a word from God at a camp or in a service or in a Bible study or in a book you were reading and you thought, God, that's, that's what you're calling me to. And maybe that has died. It might be time to rekindle that and say, God, is that what you have for me? How has God gifted you? What are you passionate about? When you read the narrative and you read the story of scripture, when you read about these lives that have come before, what grips you? That's important. I would encourage you this week. Here's the takeaway for this week. Would you take time today over the course of this week? Would you ask God, where are you working and how are you calling me? 
to be involved? Where does my story fit within what you are doing in the world? See, it'd be easy to just say, here's what we're doing as a church. But you are the church. You are the church. The church is not a structure. Church is not an organization. Church is not a building. You are the church. And your story is a part of God's story. I'd love to pray for you. So Jesus, I thank you that our lives are a part of the story that is unfolding in the world, the story of redemption, the story of salvation, the story of transformation, the story of healing, and the story of God's love being showed throughout the world. And Lord, I pray that we would see with clear eyes and clear hearts God, where you are moving and how you are calling us to be a part of your mega narrative, a part of your grand story in the world. We are honored, Lord God, to be, a, to be considered to be a part of that story. And I pray, God, that we would cast off the things that hinder us and that we would run with perseverance the mark that is, raced out, that is marked out for us, Lord, that we would run the race with perseverance until we finish that, reach that finish line, Lord God. I pray that you speak to your church, to your children, and you would stir in us, Lord, a passion for your kingdom work in the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, God bless you. Hey, again, if you didn't have a chance to attend the, the vision night, please go check it out at thrivelandor.org. Uh, and you can click the link right there on the homepage and, and watch or listen to, to that time together. And then don't miss next Sunday uh, as we continue this series and I share a little bit more about where I believe God is leading us as one body, as each of us as a part of this story and, and what that future could look like. God bless you. Have an awesome day.